Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk on a regular basis about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and for joining me today. I am your host, Scott Lowe, and my goal with the podcast, as always, is to help equip and prepare you, the listeners, for your ongoing journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that we find ourselves working with in today's data centers and public cloud environments. And as you know, in previous episodes, we've covered all sorts of technologies, all sorts of things. We also like to occasionally sprinkle in a career-focused episode where we talk with somebody about their career. And today's episode is a little bit of a blend of both. We're going to be talking uh, with Rishab Kumar about his career journey. But we're going to be looking at his career journey from a perspective of some key technologies that he learned that enabled him to make some very critical career transitions in his career. And so I'm really excited to uh, bring him onto the show. So Rashab, thanks so much for joining me today on the Full Stack Journey podcast. Hey, Scott. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Super happy to have you here. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Before we get into our discussion and talking about, you know, your career journey, there's a couple things I like to do. First, I always like to give the guests a moment or two to introduce themselves to the listeners and also to share sort of any online contact information in case folks are interested in following you or connecting with you online. So why don't you do that real quick? For sure. So as Scott said, my name is Rishabh Kumar. Uh, I'm a developer evangelist right now working at Twilio. I'm also a part-time cloud professor at St. Lawrence College here based out of Canada. And I have built some side projects. One of them is Learn to Cloud, which is, you know, I'd like to mention uh, I'm also a co-host of another podcast that I do with my friend at Microsoft, and I'm also an AWS community builder. You can find me on reshubkumar.com. It has all my socials, so it just is easier to you know <laughs> navigate if you're on Twitter or I think Blue Sky is the new hot thing, uh, or Instagram, if that's your thing, you can find me there. All right, perfect, great. So listeners, if you want to connect with uh, Rishab, then uh, just go to rishabkumar.com. We'll have a link for that in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. All right. So the second thing I like to do before we get into our discussion is a little sort of getting to know the guest, right? And we do this with uh, some simple questions. Some would call them controversial, uh, but you know, that's, that's how techie people roll sometimes. Um, so the first one is, um, What's your preferred OS, Linux, Mac OS, or Windows? It's Windows. Um, so Windows is my daily driver uh, for my personal stuff. But for work, I use Mac OS as the daily driver. So I'm usually switching between those two in the given eight to 10 hours of my day. Gotcha, gotcha. So I used to use Windows like a long time ago. But in switching mm -hmm. to Mac, it's switching between Mac and Windows. I always find myself... Um, getting thrown off by the switch between command and control. Does that oh, affect yes. you? It it does. Okay. It does. Um, especially, so I have invested my um, in a second keyboard now, which is Mac layout, because I have this really nice desk setup and I would love to use my laptop there uh, with a, you know, dongle or a docking station. But I now had to get another keyboard because one is Windows layout and one is Mac. I do know that companies have come out with dual layouts now, so I'll definitely give that a try. 
There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Your preferred uh, text editor, is it uh, Emacs or VI? Since this is a, you know, controversial kind of section, I will go with Nano and like maybe create some heat. <laughs> ah, there we go. Okay. Going to take, going to take a third path. All right. Fair enough. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Um, and let's see, uh, mechanical keyboard or not mechanical keyboard? Yes. Hands down, mechanical keyboards. Okay. All right. Very good. All right, folks. Well, there you go. Now you know all about Rashab. Okay. Maybe not, but you have a, you have a little <laughs> insight into his personality. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's move on to the meat of the show. And that is, you know, in, in chatting, as we were setting up this episode, we went through a couple different sort of ideas and we fi finally settled on, you know, this transition that you've, or a couple of transitions, key transitions you've made in your career and sort of the role that certain technologies and certain things that you learned played in making those transitions, right? You were in the tech support, you, you transitioned, your first transition was then to a cloud engineer, then you transitioned into a DevOps role, and then now you're working as a developer advocate. Um, and in each one of these transitions, there was this key thing that you learned that you felt was really important in helping you make that transition. Now, whether or not it actually enabled the transition or not, I guess, you know, that's a discussion, something we can discuss, mm -hmm. but, um, what were, what were those three things? And then I'd love to dig into those real quick, um, and, and talk about them. For sure. So I think for the first transition, definitely, uh, it was a cloud provider as I didn't know about cloud computing in general, just to give a bit of context for folks. I don't have a computer science degree. Uh, I have a computer networking and technical support diploma. Hence, you know, I was doing tech support at this company. So for the first transition, it was a cloud provider that I had to learn. Also get familiar with, you know, how it's so different than having a data center and like why everyone is pivoting towards cloud. So, and this was back in 2017, 18. So cloud was, I think, really picking up, especially for the cities or the area that I was in. And it was really hot. So I, I'm glad I made that decision to learn a cloud provider. The second one was an IAC tool and also understanding the concepts and the principles behind DevOps. Even though I didn't know like if I want to be a DevOps engineer, I think that was just the ask at the company at that time that you know we were dealing with some issues with our pipelines and release schedules. And also we wanted to make sure we minimized, you know, kind of admin tasks that we did, spinning up VMs for developers or QA people, right? So I think that is when I learned Terraform and other tools around DevOps, and that led to my transition to a DevOps engineer role. And moving along, because all of the, 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 the trend you'll see here is that, you know, I, I was eager to learn, but then I also saw an opportunity to like start posting about my learnings, whether it be on LinkedIn or Twitter. And I found that I loved writing. So it pretty sure it was COVID, uh, like early stages of COVID. And like there was huge or not huge, I want to say, but very strict lockdowns in Canada. We were not allowed to go out and stuff like that. So I had a lot of time with me uh, and, you know, my desk with a PC. So I decided to start learning new tech and also start writing about it on my personal blog. This was for the first year I did like 36 articles and I was totally amazed at the feedback that people were giving me or the amount of people that were being helped 
because I also used to do debugging and stuff like that. It was also the time when I was getting familiar. Like I was getting to know the SQL magic that, you know, I would love not to go back to. <laughs> um, so I was writing a few, I wrote a few, few articles about SQL and stuff. And I think that public facing kind of skills that I developed during writing those blogs and also started doing video-based content led me to the transition from DevOps engineer to developer advocate or evangelist now. I love how you share the story of, you know, you, you're doing these things and you're, you know, a phrase that I hear often is, you know, learning in public or learning in the open, right? And you're just, you know, kind of going along, you know, like, hey, I just learned this thing. Let me share it with somebody else, whether it be by a written content or a video content or whatever the case may be. Um, I can identify a lot with that. So I get that. Now, so we have, you know, a cloud provider, which I think was AWS, um, if I recall correctly. Um, we have, you know, an infrastructure as code tool like Terraform. And then sort of sort of kind of related, but I think I'd like to split it out if we can, is this idea of like DevOps tools and the importance of like, you know, faster releases and optimizing that 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 process. Because I, I see that as a lot of people view it as a technology problem. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure it is a technology problem, right? I think there's a business problem or a business awareness problem, maybe that as technology technologists, we need to, to understand. And then this, this idea of, you know, AKA soft skills. Um, I heard somebody say recently, there's nothing, you know, soft about them. They're actually pretty hard um, as, as in difficult, right? So these, yes. these, these personal interaction skills like writing and, and public speaking, that sort of thing. So let's start with AWS. Now, what at the time led you to feel like, Hey, this is something I want to learn. You know, what, what, what initiated that process for you? Definitely. I think I did my thorough research and that is one of the things I feel lucky about is having that su like support from different teams at this company. And also the time I feel like people try to like skip certain part of the research that goes behind, you know, making such decisions. And I just knew at that time I was in a mental space of like, oh, there's, I'm not going to definitely work for long term in tech support because I realized pretty soon, I think after six to eight months that the job was really, really repetitive. So like, you know, there were no challenging uh, problems that I could solve. And given my curious mind, I always look for, uh, you know, some kind of challenge that keeps me, you know, interested and excited that I can solve. Um, so I reached to a point where the issues that customer would report to us were kind of repetitive and like everything was in a wiki. So I would look them up and I'm like, oh yeah, I did this last month too. Right? So after I realized that, you know, okay, tech support is not long-term for me, I reached out to the engineering team and the broader engineering team. So they said, oh, we have front-end engineers. We have, you know, full stack engineers and we have cloud team, which was also like cloud and IT as together. And they also had QA. So these were the four teams. And I was just lucky enough to shadow all of them. So it took me a month, month and a half where I spent one week with each of these teams, just seeing what their day-to-day -day looked like and like what kind of you know stress they deal with, what is the workload, and like can I see myself testing software every day as a QA engineer? Can I see myself you know, coding JavaScript because that was what they were using uh, daily and, you know, center divs and stuff. 
And that's when I realized that, oh, you, you know, cloud is really interesting. So I got the idea that because of my, you know, coursework or studies that I did, I knew how to work with servers, but in a data center kind of format. Um, and realizing that the power that cloud brings is, you know, you don't have a data center, you don't need huge investment in the beginning. That just amazed me because I, I tried to anal like use this analogy of renting versus owning the property. And at that time, I, I was renting. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, you don't have to have a huge amount of investment up front and you can pay as you go. Like all the good features that I think got me really interested in learning more about, you know, cloud. And I think the decision behind the provider was pretty easy for me because the company was using AWS at that time. Uh, I was like, okay, you know, uh, I'll have mentors that are ready to help me when I have problems. And there is an opportunity where I can shift from tech support to cloud engineer at the same company because there was the need. Um, they were definitely understaffed. And that's what I did. I think it took me four months to just you know, learn cloud basics and also learn about AWS. I built two projects. One of them was like an internal, like I was helping the team internally. And one of them was just a personal project. And after three or four months, there was an opening internal, like there was an opening. So I'm like, should I put my name into the hat? And everyone was supportive. Even the cloud manager was like, yeah, you should, you know, go ahead. You have the skills. You already know the product. Um, and you're already familiar with the people around, so it, it might be a good fit. And that's what happened is, um, even though I feel like they got a steal out of it, uh, there were like two external candidates that were being considered, but I guess, you know, they would have to pay them a lot. Uh, and also the onboarding would have looked different for them. Uh, I was already familiar with our SaaS. I was, I've worked with the customers in the past and the engineering team. so. I was kind of familiar with the architecture and yeah, things worked out in my favor and here I was getting promoted to a cloud engineer role. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting your comment about, you know, this is something the company was already using. It aligns with what I've heard a lot of other guests, guests say mm -hmm. in that, you know, as you are looking at your personal development and how you grow and how you continue to learn and how you continue to you know, push yourself into new areas, it can be very, very helpful to align that with what uh, is around you and, you know, where that makes sense, right? Sometimes you have to like sort of challenge yourself in a new way that may yep. not necessarily align, but like if you can choose, uh, you know, using a given tool or a given platform or a given provider, because that's what other people are using, then as you mentioned, you sort of have built-in mentors, built-in resources, built-in mm -hmm. expertise that's already on your team to help you. Definitely. Yeah. What would you say was the number one challenge that you ran into with, you know, just like skilling up in AWS? I think the number one challenge at that time was doing my support job and also like spending a few hours later. Um, so I remember, you know, sticking around after five, I would stay till seven um, to just, you know, finish my support work because when it was office hours, I would sit with the cloud team and like question them for a couple of hours a day. Um, and there was also kind of, you know, have that challenging conversation with their current manager that you probably are going to leave this team, which you have been working on for a year. 
to join a different team. Um, it was challenging, but in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm glad they were supportive. Uh, the manager at the time was like, oh, I know, like, this shows that you want to grow at this company, right? And just coming back to your point, like, I was learning the tools that were already being used uh, in the company. So they knew, like, you know, this person is here to stay and help us with our business challenges that they were facing. And yeah, I think just finding the right balance between day-to-day work and also like learning was hard in the first few weeks, I would say. And I was also like, this was the first time I picked up a book after my graduation. Um, So I was like, oh, this is hard now um, along with work. Whereas, you know, for the last for the year that I was working in tech support, I would go home at five and like play some video games and that call it a day. Um, so coming out of that was challenging. I also feel like AWS, um, like the naming convention and the names that they use for their services can be really confusing because they go really creative with it. And things sometimes don't make sense if you are not familiar. So you have to like start memorizing stuff. Um, I have really good examples of like, you know, how they have storage services like Snowflake and Snowmobile that allows you to do data transfer. And I was so confused. I'm like, what's going on? Like they could have been named, you know, better. But that being said, if you have the right support system, I feel like, you know, those challenges can be easier or like easy to tackle. I remember my company took me to an AWS summit in Toronto, even though I wasn't support yet, just to show like what potential cloud holds. And I feel like I saw 5,000 people talking passionately about cloud. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, you know, serious. Like it it is a broader profession we have in IT. Um, And I'm just grateful for that. Yeah, for sure. So let's skip ahead to the next sort of thing. You're you're working as a cloud engineer and... And then, you know, your next transition you're making is from a cloud engineer to a DevOps engineer. And the pieces that are involved here is an infrastructure as code tool. And then this idea of like other DevOps, you know, skills and, and tooling as well, right? But let's unpack for the, for the listeners real quick. Like, how did that happen? Did you, were you, did you like learn the IAC tool before you got moving into DevOps? And that's kind of led you in that direction or what, you know, again, you know, what was the genesis? Um, so there were a couple of factors here. Um, so I stayed in my cloud engineer role for two years. The first year was, I would say the first year was most challenging because um, this job included being on call. So that was really rough. Uh, I would receive alerts, I think, at like three in the morning. Didn't know like what to do because I was not the expert with our architecture at that point in the initial months. But I think that taught me a lot of things about, you know, architecture, troubleshooting and like really just being in the zone when there is fire. Right. And I think after that, after the first year, we realized that we were spending way too much money on our infrastructure. We were spending way too much money on people being on call. So I alone had 16 out like events that happened which is not great number for being on call in a year. And that's when we decided to make our architecture more like highly available, resilient, and like have other, you know, disaster recovery 
things available because there was once when US East one went down and everything was uh, fire. So during that time, we realized like a lot of the release stuff that happens is just custom PowerShell scripts that people wrote years ago. And that's when me and my colleagues made the decision of moving everything to either like a CI CD tool that we had at that time and also using CloudFormation to deploy our infrastructure. And for the audience, um, like CloudFormation is proprietary AWS IAC tool like Terraform, Pulumi. And since at that time the architecture was just in AWS, it made sense for us to do CloudFormation. So I started doing that, you know, started creating huge CloudFormation templates that would launch X amount of servers that are web servers, SQL servers, and just the entire stack of our app. And I think that brought our release time down and it was more, you know, it was more, we were more confident in this pipeline rather than having per, like manual power scripts that we would have to copy and paste on the servers. And there was a lot less errors. Uh, and so that's how the IAC side of things started. And I started to realize that, oh, you're not monitoring the right tool, like right metrics. You're not looking at the right, um, you know, logs and stuff. So that sparked an interest about observability. We had Datadog, but we were using it, you know, incorrectly, I guess, at the time. So started learning about observability, started learning about what our application does and what metrics should we measure and not just measure everything. That reduced our on-call and like alertings, things that were not high priority, I guess. And towards the second year, that's when the an acquisition happened, basically. So we were acquired by our bigger enterprise company based out of the US. Before this, it was a 50-people company. And that's when they were like, oh, we need a DevOps team because we have infrastructure in all three cloud providers now. So our startup or our SaaS was using AWS, and then they had their own products in Azure and GCP. And so they wanted to create this new DevOps team, and they saw the efforts that I put into you know, making our infrastructure more reliable and the DevOps things that I was doing. I didn't even know like they were considered DevOps. So they reached out, and I'm like, yeah, I, sure, I want to do that. I want to you know, help with Azure and GCP too. And that's when the decision was made of choosing an IEC tool, which was chosen to be Terraform. So now, again, I was in this learning phase after two years where I had to learn Terraform, learn, you know, we had other like Grafana, Prometheus, just a whole new tool set that we had to learn. Azure DevOps, whereas we were more familiar with uh, Team City, which is like, a, I've used GitHub Actions a lot for personal projects, but Team City and What's the other tool? Jenkins are more enterprise, you know, kind of tools. So just transferring that knowledge over to, I guess, new tools, but keeping those principles, you know, I realized that the principles were the same. You're trying to build more available and resilient infrastructure that doesn't go down as often as it was in the last year. And yeah, that's how the transition happened. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, um, I think your your story about you know people getting into the cloud and then realizing like, hey, we should probably be doing this a little bit different than we're doing it right now, is probably a pretty common story in terms mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. 
you know, a lot of people think that migrating to the cloud is going to be as simple as, you know, hey, I've got this VM running on my local hypervisor. I'm just going to create the same thing in the cloud and then off we go, right? But it's not it's not really like a one-for-one -one sort of thing, right? You need to think about your architecture. You need to think about uh, resiliency and redundancy. Think about things like a, a region going down and, yep. you know, what happens if that region goes down and how are you going to recover and, you know, that sort of thing, right? Um that you you know you may not necessarily need to be as worried about. I think that, um, and this will kind of clue off the listeners as to when this episode is recorded versus when it's going to be published. But the recent news of you know Google's data center flooding in Paris because mm -hmm. some water leaked onto some batteries and caused a fire, and now the fire has to burn itself out and so on and so forth. You know that's like that's things you have to plan for, right? You have to account for something like that happening and how that's going to affect your business and the technologies that support your business. So um, I think that's a great story to share with the listeners. Um, uh, real, real, real quick, and then I want to move on to the, the interpersonal skills, you know, the writing and public speaking. Uh, it feels like sometimes as technologists, we, we get too, too wrapped around, you know, just like technology for technology's sake, right? Mm -hmm. And we lose sight of like why this is important to the business that we're working for, right? And I wonder, you know, was there a moment where you're, you know, as you're going through this and you're thinking about, you know, how do we, how do we make our, our infrastructure deployments more reliable and more, uh, more quick, you know, how do we speed mm -hmm. that up? And was there a moment at which sort of like, you know, like, you're like, oh, this is why it's important to the business. Like, do you remember that light sort of clicking on for you at some point? Definitely. Because I think in the, as you said, like in the initial kind of stage, you know, when, this company was just starting to grow out and cloud was a new thing here because we had on-premises data centers that we were getting rid of. The The idea was more of, you know, the that thought, I think it's called lift and shift, right? Where it was like, oh, it's running on a VMware infrastructure on-prem. We'll just launch a bunch of Windows servers on EC2 or whatever the other providers are and call it a day, right? And we realized soon that we were spending more money now because, you know, things in the cloud can get costly if you have to deal with licenses and you're running huge uh, servers for, you know, and it's pay as you go, right? So I think that's when we sat down and had multiple discussions because we were constantly nagged by the business teams and be like, oh, like, why are we spending, you know, this amount of money? We thought cloud is supposed to be cheaper and we have gotten rid of our own data center now, like, make this work, Right. And after that, too, we also realized, as I said, a lot of my colleagues were spending a lot of time on call and, you know, making sure we had the team available 24-7. That also means the company has to pay them, you know, extra overtime money. So from the business side of things, it was always like, oh, we are spending too much money. Like, you know, we have to be smarter. And I think that's that was one of the challenges that I had to face is like, oh, cloud is just not lift and shift. Um, so we would go online, uh, we consulted with a lot of AWS solutions architect that were available for our account. We went online, read a lot of white papers and saw how different companies have built their, you know, resilient architecture and how are they saving money too. And that was also the part, you know, I know you have a segment of asking what was the most challenging thing. I think that was one understanding how other companies are utilizing cloud and it was always not easy because you see Snap and you see, you know, Netflix 
coming up with their containerization stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is too much. Like, we can't justify the effort to shift from, you know, the old architecture to new by costing our developers a month time of development. Um, but we still need to, you know, make sure our costs are not that much in the infrastructure and also make sure it's just, like I said, custom PowerShell scripts. No, <laughs> we can utilize tools that are available to us from AWS to make sure those efforts don't go wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, since you addressed the challenges thing already, let's go ahead and transition <laughs> to the last one. Now, from what I know of, you know, sort of how this all played out, I would imagine that this last part is terms of like, you know, the writing, the public speaking, the video creation was sort of like happening in parallel while all this other stuff is happening. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, is that a fair thing to say? Yes. No, that is accurate. Yeah. I mean, you were sharing earlier in the episode how you felt like it was important for you to sort of give back to others as you're learning, right? So mm -hmm. I imagine, you know, just the process of doing that, the more that you write, the more that you do public speaking, the more that you create video content, whatever it is, it naturally becomes easier, more comfortable. You get better at it. You know, you might push yourself to get better at it. Talk a little bit about, about sort of that and, and like, you know, what led you to each of those areas, right? Like, you know, you started out writing, what led you to video creation? You know, where does the public speaking fit into there? Definitely. Um, so this was also the time when, you know, I shifted to this new DevOps team. So we had to figure out a lot of stuff like what is the Git workflow? Um, what Git provider are we going to use for all our ISC modules? Where will our, this new team's code will reside? And I remember that I just took that chance of like, oh, can I do the research on Git workflow and what processes we should put in place? And my, my the DevOps manager was like, yeah, you take this. You know, he was kind of assigning the tasks before we build out this team and start producing, you know, um, stuff. And I wrote a really long wiki page for the Git workflow um, by researching a lot of stuff. And I loved that. Like, I loved writing that post out. And that's when it sparked to me. Like, I'm like, why don't I, why don't I do, you know, more of this and per, for personal things? Because... Obviously, I couldn't publish this paper, you know, outside because this was an internal doc. Um, so I talked to my manager and he's like, yeah, you should, you know, blog because so he was a developer in the past life and he had a blog that he was not actively, you know, writing at. So he asked me to check it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. So I quickly set up a blog. Uh, I think dev.to was really, you know, catching up at that time. And it just makes it easier to not like host your own blog platform. So I started writing and I saw like the tech community is, you know, really supportive. Even though I felt like I'm just an imposter, you know, not an expert writing stuff out about DevOps and cloud. And I just started my career. Um, like the tech community was really supportive. And you also find out that you don't have to be expert because you might run into things that nobody else has. And there are people looking for a solution. And I remember there was a post about SQL Studio and like how to do a certain things in SQL Studio. And I posted about it. And like that to this day is still, it still gets hits on, you know, Google. So I think after I posted my like one or two blogs, um, I'm like, oh, you know, this is empowering. I'm glad, you know, I can help people out. So initial ones were just troubleshooting stuff and like, launching an EC2 instance with, you know, some weird 
configuration that is not documented somewhere. And after I started doing that, I just got into the process of doing it every two weeks. Like I would sit down on a weekend and I'm like, oh, what did I work, um, you know, at my work and be like, what can I pick out and publish it publicly that would help the community. And this is also when I started tweeting a lot. So like I got into the ecosystem, like the, the tech community basically uh, found cloud community to be really supportive and just realized that there are a lot of people out there who want to learn from me uh, because of the career trajectory that I've had. So that's when I think the video creation part of it came. There's a funny story that I was asked to present something and that call would have, you know, had our CTO and other technical staff. Um, and this was regarding Terraform. So I built like a bunch of modules that were that automated and like saved, I think, 65% of the time that was needed to test for developers in QA because now they don't have to come to us to launch instances and stuff. I was about to present it and then I bailed out because I just got too nervous um, and anxious. And English is my second language. So like all of this was a process. I had to overcome this. Um, and that's when like my manager was like, you know, you, you should like practice on your like soft skills, like you said, or, you know, public speaking skills because they are important. And I truly believe that um, you need to learn to communicate. And that's how, you know, an effective team and an effective relationship is built with your manager. So started, you know, just recording myself. I didn't publish anything for months. I just recorded it and like would look at it, do some improvements at things like, oh, why do I speak a certain way? Or started adding analogies and stuff like, oh, this would really help if I'm talking to some business folks or like salespeople. So that happened. And then finally, I got the courage to just release like one video. And after that, it was just the process of, okay, I'm going to sit down each month and produce one video that's about cloud. The good thing is I had 36 articles already. So I went smart with it. I'm like, I'll use these 36 articles as scripts to my YouTube video. Yeah, that is smart. I mean, you already written down the content on your website, so why not just go ahead and, and use that as a video? And I think, uh, you know, some people prefer written content. Some mm -hmm. people prefer video content, right? It's, uh, it's a learning style thing. My, my wife is a former teacher. And as a former teacher, she would talk constantly about, you know, some people learn better with, you know, their hands and doing things, counting out stuff. She was an elementary school teacher, so, you know. Um, you know, counting things out with like cookies or whatever. And some people would learn better by me, you know, showing them and then watching it. And then, and then they try it and some people just need to hear it and that's good enough. Right. And so trying to address all of those learning styles, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, you, you really enjoy being able to help other people through by sharing your own experience. And so extending what you were doing with writing into video was just another way of doing that. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Like, Aside from just overcoming your own anxiety, which, you know, kudos to you for sort of facing that head on, uh, what would you say, you know, was your biggest challenge in building out those skills? Was it time? Was it something else? I think apart from like anxiety and stuff, it was the fear of people finding out that I'm just faking it. <laughs> I don't know how, how well, like the right words to use it. I always have this fear because I know that I'm not an expert and you can never be an expert in everything, right? You can only learn um, things as you go, I guess. 
and I'm good at that, but I always had this fear that I'll say something, for example, do SSH and like you left, you know, port 80 or port 22 open for the entire internet. And some, I know some people will come and bash at me and like, be like, you know, that is a really big security flaw, which I know. And I think those kind of things were like really hard to come over just the fear of, oh, someone is going to come and like bash um, at me uh, specifically. Like I'm so scared of the Linux and the Python community <laughs> because I do cert- certain things certain way and they might not be right. Um, but yeah. At the end, I think like you slowly overcome that. And you also realize that some of the things really do matter and you learn, you know, as you go. Yeah, sure. We call that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Right. Where you're, you're in a role and you've, you've earned the opportunity to be in that role, but you're still Mm -hmm. worried that somebody's going to find out that you're not the expert that Maybe they have been led to believe by some reason, not that, you know, mm-hmm. you have done that, right? Not that you have positioned yourself incorrectly, but yeah. just, it just happens. You know, you find yourself in some, some sort of senior blah, blah, blah role or, you know, principal blah, blah, blah role. And people are like, oh, you know, he's a senior, he's a principal, he must know everything. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. I don't know everything. So <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, uh, I've, I've spoken to a number of folks both here on the show and in the general IT community, and this is a common thing. So you're not alone in that reg- in that regard. A lot of us um, deal with it. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're we're drawing close to our uh, the close of our time here, which is amazing. It's flown by so quickly. But mm-hmm. um, before we wrap things up, I wonder: is there you know sort of like any final thoughts, or any final suggestions you might give listeners to say, "Hey, this is something that I have found useful in my career." Yeah, I feel like. Getting comfortable with reading stuff. I know for certain people, it can be boring. I was in the same boat. Um, I would rather watch a really engaging, you know, YouTube video. But I feel like the the social media um, kind of has, you know, really messed up with our attention spans, which is fine. But I feel like oftentimes I would have like neglected things that were clearly written in the documentation and, you know, it would bite me like way down the road and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And then you go back and you read the documentation properly this time and realize, oh, like just be patient um, and like read the docs. I also have like a sticker on my laptop that says read the docs because so this also comes from a teaching side of things is I realize so I teach cloud and realize a lot of students, you know, neglect certain things that might be just the solution to the problem that they're facing um, just because, you know, they found it boring. So documentations are your best friend. Uh, <laughs> and, and all the documentation writers out there are cheering and raising their hands and clapping and saying, yes, absolutely. Read the documentation that we worked yeah. so hard to create. <laughs> Kudos to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do, I do agree though. And it, it kind of gives me an idea that, you know, it would be great if I could pull together some folks. I know people who, uh, deal with sort of, um, either diagnosed, uh, adult ADHD or, or yep. similar sort of things where, you know, they just have problems reading. It gives me an idea of, you know, like maybe I could try to pull together a podcast on techniques that would help mm-hmm. rest, you know, what are some things, practical things that would help you? Like if you have a hard time sitting down and reading a white paper, 
not because it's boring, although it might be the case that it is boring and not written well, but, you know, looking through documentation, like if, you, if that's yes. hard for you, what are some practical things we could do about it? So now you've you've planted that thought in my head where I might try to, to do that. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to mention two extensions that I use. One of them is a really good one because it, the way it, so it capitalizes and bold, makes the text bold at certain points in the doc that makes it really easy to read, uh, especially if you deal with, you know, um, certain things. And there's another extension which I use to do text-to-speech. So if I have my headphones on, I just click the entire paragraph and it just reads it to me, which is, so I'm, you know, fond of podcasts and like uh, audiobooks. So it's easier for me to digest by listening to them. So those two extensions, I believe they're both available for all browsers out there. I I'll, I can send you the link and we can have it in the show notes or whatever, but those are really great. Oh, no, that, that's, that's, that's fabulous. That's perfect. It's exactly what I, the kind of stuff I want to include. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll, we'll put links to those in the show notes uh, for listeners in case you want to check them out and see if they uh, work for you, if they help um, with you as well. Um, Rishab, really quick, as we wrap up, do you want to just remind folks where they can find you online? Sure. So I am quite active on Twitter. So you can find me uh, at Rishab K7, that's R-I-S-H-A-B-K-7. And as I said in the beginning, if you're looking for any of the other social links, I'm available at reshipkumar.com. That's the website. And you can find my YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn there. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for the, the great conversation. Uh, really enjoyed talking with you and, and hearing about sort of the things that led you to these career transitions mm-hmm. and that, you know, how you addressed um, that the career growth that is necessary for so many IT professionals. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode. Listeners, thank you so much for joining Rishab and me on this episode of the Full Stack Journey podcast. We're grateful and thankful. I'm always open to hear your feedback on uh, the podcast. So if you have feedback on this episode or any episode of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I am like, like Rishab, you know, available lots of different ways online. So you can hit me on Twitter as at Scott underscore low. I'm on Mastodon, uh, at Scott S low, uh, uh, at Fostodon.org. So I'm on the Fostodon instance. Um, or you can also hit the podcast directly at FSJ podcast on Twitter. Um, this episode and all episodes of course will be found on the packet pushers website. And this has been the full stack journey podcast where too much learning is never enough. <laughs>